0: The Corum Deo Church community is a missional church rooted in historic, biblical Christianity and committed to cultural engagement. We hope the message you are about to hear spurs you to deeper reflection on the gospel of Jesus Christ. Thanks for listening. This morning's scripture reading is Luke 2, verses 8 through 20. and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. The word of God for the people of God.
1: Well, good morning, Coramdale. Merry Christmas. I want to <laughs> preach to you for just a few minutes this Christmas morning about the joy of being human. The joy of being human. The angels, Luke tells us, announced to the shepherds good news of great joy. The coming of Jesus Christ into the world is all about Joy. It's the redemptive joy that our sins can be forgiven. It's the covenantal joy of God's faithfulness to his promises. It's the eschatological joy of the kingdom of God coming among us. And it also is an invitation for us to embrace the joy of being human. This Christmas morning, that's what I want you to experience. I want you to walk out of here with a new sense of joy in what it means to be human. I wonder if most of us experience our humanity as a burden more than as a joy. First, there's the burden of our mortality. Every one of us sits here this Christmas morning, one year older than we were last Christmas, We sit here in bodies that are literally decaying as we speak, growing older with each passing day. For some of us, this year is a reminder of the people who are not with us. It's a hard season because we're marking missing someone that we've lost. Our mortality is part of the burden of being human. In addition to our mortality, there's the burden of our fragility. We're fragile people. Our biology is fragile. Some of us have endured another year of chronic pain this year. Some of us are marking another 12 months of fertility struggles. Some of us live every day with restrictions in our diet or in our lifestyle just based on our biology, on how our bodies just aren't quite right. Some of you have never come forward to the Lord's table because you always go backward to the gluten-free option, right? I mean, it's just a it's just nature that our, our biology is fragile. Our bodies don't work the way they ought. Not only are our bodies fragile, but our, our psychology is fragile. We're prone to anxiety and depression and dark thoughts. Some of us face these struggles every day. Others of us face them seasonally. Our psychology, our minds, are more fragile than we'd like to think. Our relationships are fragile. Many of us have experienced this year deepening rifts in our families, or ongoing strife in our marriages, or unexplainable distance in friendships that used to be close. Some of us have even had people turn on us and become our enemies in ways we don't quite understand. Our fragility is part of the burden of being human. We are mortal. We are fragile. And then, of course, there's just the reality of our theology, right? As Christians, we have a robust doctrine of sin. We're under no illusions about the basic goodness of the human heart, are we? We talk regularly about the fall, about total depravity, about the reality of indwelling sin and corruption our sin is ever before us, to quote Psalm 51. We gather every week and we confess our sin as a way of acknowledging we aren't the people we ought to be. And because we as Christians take sin seriously, we can sometimes become pessimistic about humanity. If you were to ask me, what is my most besetting sin? I think the answer would probably be cynicism. I struggle to... Believe the best about human beings in general and about myself and about you. I've seen a lot of human ugliness. It's challenging for me to believe in human goodness and beauty. I've seen pastors lie and fall from grace. I've seen spouses cheat and destroy their marriage. I've seen addicts steal from fellow church members to feed their addictions. And I've sat and listened to many of you talk about the sad and painful things that you bear in your own story, the wounds and the pain that you carry. And then like you, I also know my own heart, right? And I know that despite the fact that I've been redeemed and restored and set free by the Lord Jesus Christ, I'm also still aware of all the selfishness that dwells in me, how prone I am to anger, to despair, to selfishness. And so because I know my own heart, as well as you know your own heart, I'm prone to pessimism about us in general. Our sinfulness, the reality that we are fallen people, is part of the burden of being human. So I wonder, even as you just sit here this morning, how do you feel about being human? Is it a joy to be human, or would you consider it more of a burden? In recent years, we've begun to use the Enneagram around here. Some of you guys are like tired of Enneagram talk because maybe we use it too much. It's a personality profile like many of the ones that are out there, just a sort of a tool for self-knowledge. It's not infallible. It's not the Word of God. It doesn't tell you infallible truth about yourself, but it's a helpful tool to understand how we're different from one another. And according to Enneagram, there are nine different types. And the way the test goes is that it tests you on all nine of these types and rates you on a scale from zero to 100 in each of the nine types. And then obviously, based on what your highest score is, that sort of becomes your dominant way of sort of being in the world. And so it's a way you can understand sort of the way that you're wired. So we've given this little uh, assessment to many of you and taken it on our staff team and just used it to grow in self-awareness. The Enneagram 7, which some of you are, is called the joyful person. This person, the person who manifests this type, is the kind of person who is pretty extroverted. They bring a lot of fun and a lot of energy and a lot of lightheartedness to the room. When they walk in, they're probably the kind of person that you want to gravitate toward. They tend to be optimistic about life and optimistic about the world and optimistic about situations. Remember, the scale is 0 to 100. On the Enneagram 7, my score is 0.7. Out of a hundred. So do I experience the joy of being human? Not really. Not really. And that's why I need to hear the Christmas story again. And why you do too, even if you are in Enneagram 7. So let's look for just a few minutes at Luke's recounting of the story. Luke chapter 2, verse 8. It's on page 805 if you're using one of the Bibles underneath your seat. Luke tells us this, verse 8, In the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. Now, why does Luke tell us about the shepherds? Why does he want us to think about the shepherds? Because the shepherds represent the ordinary people in the story. They're the most ordinary of the characters we meet. We know that the birth of Jesus is good news to Mary because God has already showed up to her and given her the announcement that she's going to be the mother of his son. We know that the birth of Jesus is good news to the house of David because the prophets have already told us that the line of David is going to see a a, a branch sprout and come forth and renew the hopes of God's people. And we know that the birth of Jesus is bad news for Herod because, of course, it's the pronouncement of a rival king, and a rival king is always a threat to the existing kingdom. So we know many key figures in the story and why this birth is announced to them. But Luke wants to remind you that angels also showed up to some ordinary shepherds, some ordinary people like you and me, and said, not just is it good news for Mary, it's not just good news for the house of David, the royal heirs of the throne, it's not just a threat to King Herod and those in a high power and position. This is good news for ordinary human beings like you and me. And the angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear, which, by the way, is a really normal response in the Bible to the presence of heavenly beings. If you read in the scriptures as people encounter angels, this is common, they feel fear and really what they're feeling if you want to use the language i'm using in this sermon is they're feeling the burden of being human they realize in the presence of a glorious being one with greater glory and might and strength and power one from a different sort of realm they immediately recognize their finiteness and their weakness and the reality of their humanness so that's what they're feeling That's why they're filled with great fear. Verse 10, And the angel said to them, Fear not. Despite the fact that you are human and finite and fallible and flawed, despite the fact that a glorious angel is in your midst announcing this news to you, this is not a moment for fear. The news I'm delivering to you should not bring fear and trembling. Rather, It's good news. Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy. Literally, the text reads, I proclaim gospel to you. I proclaim gospel to you. Friends, the gospel of Jesus Christ, by the way, does not begin at the cross. It begins at the cradle. The birth of our Savior is good news. Joy to the world. The Lord is come. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Specifically here, Luke has in mind all the people of Israel, all the people who have been awaiting their Messiah. But we can already sense the hint in the text that this good news will be for all the world, that by fulfilling his promise to David and to his offspring, that God is also fulfilling his promise to Abraham to through him bring blessing to all the nations of the earth. Good news of great joy that will be for all the people, for unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. This birth is good news because it is the birth of a Savior. And I want us to think for a minute about what that means. The fact that humanity needs a Savior in the first place confirms all the bad news we've already reviewed, doesn't it? It confirms the fact that we are sinners, that the burden of being human really is something real, that we have failed and fallen short, that we need a deliverer to come and set us free from the burden of our sin, from our fallenness and brokenness, and from the ways we've turned our backs on God. So the fact that there is a Savior born is, first of all, A reinforcement of the bad news, the fact that being human is a certain kind of burden. But listen, how does this saving work happen? How does Christ save us from sin and from its consequences? The angel's announcement answers the question, doesn't it? He saves us by assuming our humanity. The angel says, I bring you good news of great joy, for unto you is born this day a Savior. The good news is not just that there's a Savior. The good news is that this Savior is born. Remember, friends, that Christ did not come into existence on Christmas Day. He has always existed. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. The eternal Son of God, the begotten one of the Father before all worlds. Light of light, God of God, very God of very God as we profess in the Nicene Creed. This divine person added to himself a human nature. Or to say it another way, the incarnation is addition, not subtraction. To become a human being, the Son of God did not lose something, He gained something. To His divine nature, He added a human nature. Jesus Christ is fully divine and fully human, one person with two natures, a divine nature and a human nature. And so the joy is not just that we have a Savior, the joy is that Christ has assumed our humanity, and in so doing, He has bestowed great honor upon the human race. The fact that Christ has assumed our humanity bestows on our kind an honor and a glory and a blessing that He has bestowed on no other kind. Ponder with me something that the writer of Hebrews says in Hebrews chapter 2. It has been testified somewhere. What is man that you are mindful of him or the son of man that you care for him? You made him for a little while lower than the angels and you have crowned him with glory and honor, putting everything in subjection under his feet. I like that the writer says it's been testified somewhere. This is good news for all of you guys who know some stuff in the Bible, but you just don't know the chapter and verse. <laughs> right? He was, he's like, ah, somewhere, somewhere in the Psalms it says, and then he quotes from Psalm 8. What is man that you're mindful of him or the son of man that you care for him? You've made him a little while lower than the angels. In the original context of the Psalm, the Psalmist is talking about us as human beings. He's saying what's true of humanity, the sons and daughters of men, is that God has made us a little lower than the angels. The writer of Hebrews, however, reflecting on this psalm, in light of the incarnation of Christ, reads this psalm and sees here not just men in general, but the Son of Man, Christ himself. And so he goes on to say, now in putting everything in subjection to him, he left nothing outside his control. At present, we do not yet see everything in subjection to him, But we see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death. In verse 16, he says, For surely it is not angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. The thing the writer of Hebrews is drawing our attention to is this. Christ didn't become an angel. He became a human. And in doing so, he bestowed honor upon humans. The angel who appeared to the shepherds is announcing to them great joy for their race, for their kind of being. Christ the Lord has become one of them. No other species on earth or in heaven has received this kind of honor. It's not an accident, friends, that the Christmas story features both angels and animals. A higher order of being announcing and glorying in the birth of Christ. And a lower order of being gathering around the child in the manger. It's as though all of creation is leaning in to see the glory of the fact that God has taken on human flesh. And so it's fitting that in Luke 2.14, the angels sing, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. Or as the old King James says it, peace on earth, goodwill to men. God has shown his goodwill to humankind by becoming one of us, by coming to our race, by taking our likeness. And that means that you and I this Christmas can celebrate the joy of being human. See, Christmas allows us to say two things at the same time, and we need to hear both. Here's the first thing we need to hear. You're human. How tragic. You are all sons of Adam and daughters of Eve. You are part of the race that has rebelled against God and his glory and goodness. You are mortal. You are fragile. You are fallible. You are sinful. The burden of being human really is a burden. Let's not pretend that it isn't. We are weighed down with all the burdens of our sin, our finiteness, and our humanity. You are a human. How tragic. And yet, at the same time, you're human. How glorious. Christ has taken your nature upon himself. He has become one of us. Surely it's not angels he helps. It's Abraham's descendants. It's people like us. He has been crowned with glory and honor as a human. So no longer are we condemned to misery and ruin. Our race has begun again in the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the head of a new humanity. He is making all things new, and that includes human beings. Friends, on the day Jesus rose from the dead, he rose as a human. That's why we profess in the Apostles' Creed his bodily resurrection. In his full humanity, he now sits at the right hand of the Father in heaven, and one day, all who trust in him will likewise be raised to a new kind of glory as humans. Not to some disembodied, ethereal, angelic-like existence, but to real human glory. That's what awaits us. And so this Christmas morning, I want to remind you of the good news of great joy. I want to invite you to enjoy, experience, celebrate the joy of being human. You are human. And that is tragic. There are real burdens you carry with you today. There is real mortality and real fragility and real sin that you carry with you everywhere you go. And we need not minimize any of that or pretend it's not true or try to avoid it. It's real. But that's not all that's real, friends. You are human. And that is glorious. Jesus Christ has taken on your likeness. Your humanity is not something to be lamented or despised or something to be overcome. Your humanity is something to be delighted in because the God who made us has become one of us. And that means we can live out our days on this earth with joy, even in the midst of the burdens we carry. We can live out our days on this earth with joy, knowing that Christ has become like us. And that's good news for us. So friends, may you go from here today with a full heart. May you go and enjoy family and friends and laughter and feasting, maybe even a really good nap. May even your moments of weakness and folly, even your sensing of your frailty and fragility and mortality, may even that remind you of the joy of being human. And most of all, may you worship the Lord Jesus Christ, the Word made flesh, and may you find your deepest joy in union with Him. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for this good news of great joy that is for all the people, including every single one of us in this room. So thank you, Jesus, that you came and took on our nature. Thank you that you are the head of a new humanity and that because you have become like us, there is great hope and joy for every human being who trusts in you. And so we say with the angels, glory to God in the highest. And we celebrate on earth the peace and the joy that comes to us, even with the burdens we carry, even with all the weight that really we truly do have as humans in this world. Would you renew in us this morning the deep joy that is ours because of your incarnation? Help us embrace this morning the joy of being human. Remind us that it is not all burden. It is not all curse. It is not all fragility and finiteness and fallenness. But that because you have become like us, because you have taken on our nature, there is great glory and joy for us even as we leave here this morning. So catch us up this morning in the beauty and the goodness and the joy of your incarnation. We pray for our good and for your glory. Amen.